Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. What's up, guys? I'm super excited uh, to be with you. My name is Raisa Watandila Kubandi, and I am just, man, um, I, was, I was sitting uh, next to my big brother during worship, and um, uh, that line that Jesus is a lifesaver, and I just like immediately started tearing up. Um, I have two siblings. I have an older brother who is 14 months older than me. I have a little sister that is five and a half years younger than me. And a few years ago, uh, we were driving home from a Bible study. We stopped at QT, God's gas station. Um, And uh, we started to share stories that we as siblings have never shared before. And um, I talked about the weekend that I had decided to take my own life. I talked about how my parents, at the time it was just my mom and aunt and my older brother that came into the counselor's office because my dad was in immigration detention and about how Kevin sat with me the whole weekend. Kevin was big man on campus, so he gave up his weekend to sit with his sister because he'd rather lose a weekend than lose his best friend. Then Kevin shared a story about a series of of decisions that he made that were not the best decisions. And he talked about how he wanted to take his own life. Then my baby sister Gloria begins to share a story about how she just felt so overwhelmed and so overlooked. And she talked about how she wanted to take her own life. And so when that young man said, that Jesus is a lifesaver. And I heard that. Something in me exploded. Because there may be somebody in this room or watching online that is like, yo, nobody cares about my life. No one values me. No one sees me. No one knows what I'm going through. The voice in my head that is telling me that I'm no longer worth anything seems louder than everything else around me. And to that person, man, I want to let you know, and you're going to hear me say this again at some point in this sermon, that you are so precious that first Peter tells us that you were bought with a price, not with silver or with gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, that your value is so high that God looked throughout the universe and throughout the earth and he said, nothing is as precious as your life. So I will send my son. So divinity put on humanity and he spent 30 years on the earth, anonymous, unknown, unseen, someone that wasn't 
existence valued in the way that he should have been. And for three years, he did miracles. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He allowed the lame to walk and the blind to see. And he opened up the ears of the deaf. And then the people in Jerusalem were like, this is our Messiah. We need to make him an earthly king. And he said, no, my glory will not be found on earthly kingdoms. My glory will not be found on treasures here on earth. But the Bible tells us that because of the joy set before him, our God looked at the cross and he looked at its shame and it said it was worth it. And you know why he looked at the cross and he looked at the shame of the cross and said it was worth it? It tells us in John 3, 16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whomsoever would believe in him would have eternal life. What is eternal life? Well, John 17, three tells us this, that as Jesus was praying moments before he was going to be arrested, moments before he was gonna have his beard plucked out, moments before he was gonna be spat on, moments before he was gonna be punched in the face over again, over and over again, moments before he was gonna go on a trial and be found guilty even though he was innocent. And it wasn't just one trial, it was two or three different trials because he stood before the Sanhedrin and then he stood before a Roman leader, then he stood before another Roman leader and instead of walking with integrity, they walked in shame and they persecuted and they arrested and they murdered this man. The Bible tells us that he was beaten so badly he could not be recognized as a human being and that when he hung on the cross naked, his mother was standing there before him. He was so physically weak, he couldn't even carry his own cross up a hill. But a man named Silas, who was coming from Africa through Jerusalem, had to carry the cross for him. But before all of that happened, Jesus prayed. And it tells us in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know the one true God and his son whom he has sent. Now, I'm learning how to speak Spanish. And for those of you that took Spanish one, you know that the word to know in Spanish, there's two different versions of that word, right? There is to know as in a academic sense, right? So, so I know LeBron James. I know that he's been famous since she was a teenager. I know that he has started his own school. I know that he owns the Boston, part of the Boston Red Sox. I know that he owns part of Liverpool. I know that he has two, he has three children, Bronny, Bryson, and Zoe, Ozora. She's so cute. She's got like the little hair and she dances and she did the little, ah. You know, when it's up, that's wrong. Right, said we're in church. So I know LeBron James. but I don't know him like I know my brother. I don't know him like I know my best friend. And when the Bible says that eternal life is to know God, it's not about knowing the facts of God, but it's about walking in relationship with God. So if we look at John 3:16 and then we look at John 17:3, what we find there is that God loved you so much that he died to have relationship with you. Oh, you are valuable beyond measure. You are precious. Not by anything that can be measured on this earth, but your value is divine. And so if you are questioning whether anybody cares about you or sees you or knows you or values you, God knows you so well that he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Psalms tells us that he keeps your tears in the bottle. The Bible tells us that he weeps when we weep. 
that when, we, when the Bible says that he is merciful, it means that he bends down towards you. You are valuable. So if you question that, I want you to be reminded that divinity put on humanity and died on the cross for you. Tonight we'll be reading out of John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you haven't done any Bible reading in a few days, don't worry. We're going to knock that all out right now. It says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, my goodness, the wine was running out. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus responds to his mother and says, woman, mm -mm -mm, why do you involve me? You can tell she was an African because if she was African, in between the part where she says they have no more wine and he responds, woman, there would have been a pause because she would have been resurrecting Jesus <laughs> because he spoke to her that way, but she was not an African woman. Why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, 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 <laughs> the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the, of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. Okay, that was the groom, the, the dude that was getting married. And said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. Let's pray again. Dad, thank you so much. Thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for this pers every person that has jumped online. Thank you for every person that's gonna watch this later. God, I pray that tonight would be a night that you save some lives. That tonight some people would discover their purpose. That tonight that there would be hope and God, I pray that above everything else, that someone in this room would hear your voice clearly. So God, we love you and we trust you and we thank you for who you are. So in Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said? Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, sir. You made me sound so spiritual. Come on. Like if he plays the keys, I can say anything. Here, let's, let's prove it. Just, just yeah, just, just play the keys. Platypus, octopus, Beyonce, Blue Ivy. Thank you, sir. <laughs>
I am so excited to be here with you guys tonight. Uh, one thing that I've wanted to try, uh, but I haven't had the opportunity to have an audience in the room to do this with my living room family. So we're gonna do this thing called two claps and a Ric Flair, okay? Just follow along with me. If you don't have rhythm, just pretend to clap, okay? You're in a safe place here, okay? So let me get one clap. Okay, that was good, that was good. Okay, I see some Georgia State students in the house. Let me get one clap. Let me get one clap. Let me get two claps. Let me get two claps. Whew, okay, here's where it gets spicy, okay? <laughs> All right, I'm gonna ask for a Ric Flair. And the way that you Ric Flair is you go up and not down. Let me show you, okay? This is, woo, that's up, woo, down. Do you hear the woo, woo. All right, let me get a Ric Flair. Woo! Let me get a Ric Flair. All right, we're gonna bring it all together. <laughs> we're gonna bring it all together. All right, let me get two claps in a Ric Flair. Let me get two claps in a Ric Flair. If you are excited to be here, let me get two claps in a Ric Flair. So I can imagine at this way, you guys sounded wonderful, okay? If you're here with somebody that you know, just tap them on the, with your elbow, be like, you sound good. Okay, and based on what I can see, you look good. Okay, the top half, the top of your head is wonderful. So I can imagine at this wedding that Jesus is at, right? Um, I have the kind of parents that do this to me at family parties where all of a sudden that, that things that have nothing to do with me become a priority to me. Right, like I'm, like I'm in my bedroom alone because when Africans have parties, they bring their children with them and those children just tear up the entire house. So you gotta lock yourself in your room and you gotta build a barricade because those kids have supernatural strength, okay? Because a three-year-old will all of a sudden be in your room and you'll be like, all oh, the doors and windows are locked. How did you get here? You know, and they're like, I came in through the window. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how you did that, right? So I can imagine that they're at this party, right? Everybody's having a good time and Jesus' mother notices that they've run out of wine. And, and in every household, there's always somebody that's the most responsible person in the household. There's always a child that's the most responsible child in the house. And in my family, though I am not the oldest, I am the most responsible, okay? And so in a circumstance like this, I could see my mother walking up to me and being like, they have no wine. And I would be like, yes. Am I, am I like, what do you want me to do, you know? And, and in this moment, Mary walks up to Jesus and says, hey, they have no wine. What I need you to do is I need you to get on your donkey, head over to Kroger, pick up some wine, right, before these people get embarrassed. And you're like, well, if there was a donkey and Kroger, yeah, they live in Canton, Georgia, so there's a lot going on all at the same time. Just kidding, Canton's a beautiful place. Anyway, so Jesus' mother is asking him to do something, and Jesus says something that I find very interesting. He says, my time has not come yet. And one of the things that I know to be true about most people in their early 20s, mid-20s, is that we're all waiting for a time where we become all that we dream of becoming. Some of us are waiting to graduate. Some of us are waiting to find our dream job. Some of us are waiting to find our dream partner. Some of us are waiting to have children. Some of us are waiting to make a million dollars. Some of us are waiting on something. There is something that we're waiting on becoming. And when we become that, then we'll start doing different things. When I get my job, then I will start tithing. 
When I find the person I am going to marry, then I will start looking at different opportunities. When I move out of America, I will finally be happy. When I become this, 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 this. All of us are waiting. If I'm being honest, there are a lot of things in my life that I'm waiting on. I'm waiting on making a certain amount of money. I'm waiting on getting to a certain level of success. I'm waiting to have children, human beings that take up all of my money and all of my time. That's what I'm waiting on, people. That's what I'm waiting on. And Jesus says, my time has not arrived yet. And so, Mary does something that I think a lot of parents do. They talk about you like you're not in the room. I spent years being a student pastor, and so I would, um, I would be hanging out in the lobby and talking to someone's child, and their parent would walk up to me and be like, Susan has an issue. She's got a bad attitude. She's not getting the grade she needs to get, and she talks back to me all the time. I'm like, ma'am, Susan is right here. <laughs> if I just step this way, you can have that conversation. You know, and they're like, can you just, can you, can you take Susan and, and fix her? And I want to be like, yo, like, I didn't raise her. <laughs> you did this to Susan, but I needed to keep my job. So I was like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take Susan out. Susan, where do you want to go? Starbucks? Really? Ew, okay. <laughs> no shade to Starbucks, but there's a lot better coffee shops out there. And so Mary does something that, that parents do all the time. She talked about Jesus as if he wasn't in the room. And what I love about Jesus in this moment was that he does what he always does, which is step into situations that are not his problem, but he becomes a part of the solution. The fact that the bride and the groom were running out of wine had nothing to do with Jesus. He wasn't responsible for them. He wasn't hosting this wedding. It wasn't his issue. But Jesus saw a problem and he decided to become a part of the solution. What does that mean for you and I today? Is that while you're waiting on becoming that actor or actress that musician, that lawyer, that doctor, while you're waiting on getting into your dream university, while you're waiting on finding that partner, while you're waiting on making a certain amount of money, is that while you are waiting, when you see problems that are not your problem, it doesn't mean that you can't be a part of the solution. There are problems all over our lives and all over our campuses that are not our problem, but we can step in and be a part of the solution. Right, so give me an example of something that is not my problem, but I can be a part of the solution. Okay, that's pretty easy. When you are walking around your campus and you see somebody that has, is in your math class, is in your, you know, whatever classes college students take, I probably should have looked at a college brochure before I came in here. Those of you that are in Econ 302, um, and you've noticed that they've been having a rough couple of days. And we can tell when people are going through stuff, right? Um, we can just walk up and be like, kind to them. We can hold a door open for them. We can compliment them on their shoes or on their sweatpants or on their hair tie. Even though their issue is not my issue, I can help to be a part of the solution. 
Even though their pain is not my pain, I can help to be a part of the solution because even though I'm waiting to become something, right here and right now, I can be a part of the solution. So the Bible continues to tell us the story where Jesus tells the servants, hey, you see those large, giant water jugs over there? I want you to fill those with water. So the, so the guys are like, we need wine. And Jesus is like, didn't my mom tell you to listen to me? <laughs> go do your job. So they go and they fill these, water jar, these large jugs with water. And the Bible then tells us that Jesus instructs them to go to the master of the ceremony, the master of the banquet, and serve him this water. And as they're going to dip a cup into this and they make it to the banquet master, somehow it becomes wine. So from the moment they go from here to here, the water transforms. And the Bible tells us that after this first sign, this was the first time that the glory of Jesus was revealed and his disciples began to believe in him. What does that mean for us? It means that as you do, people become aware. I believe there's so many people in this room that have a lot of gifts and you're like, yo, if somebody only knew how good I was at blank. And the reality is, is until you start doing blank, people won't be aware of what you're good at. As you do, people become aware. I remember I was in seventh grade. I had a best friend that lived in the neighborhood right next to mine. We spend weekends and weekdays together all the time. And I remember one Wednesday night, uh, she was like, hey, are you going to come over after you're done with your homework? You know, because that's what you do in middle school. You hang out after homework or before, depending on what your grades looked like back then. And, um, and I was like, no, I can't tonight. I have church. Now, we've been best friends for like two years spending a lot of time together. And she was like, wait, what, you're a Christian? And I was like, yeah, I, I go to church and I believe in Jesus. She was like, I had no idea. And the reality of it is, is that my actions were speaking louder than my words. People could not see my faith in action because my friend had seen how I behaved at school. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter five is that as we do good works, God gets glorified. If you want people to see God on your campus, be good. And I'm not talking about this like this, this fake good where you're nice to people that you don't really like. No, no, I'm talking about genuine goodness going out of your way to be kind and loving and, and merciful, going out of your way to be a good listener, going out of your way to, to take care of a friend. As you do, people not only become aware of who you are, but they become more aware of who God is. What I love about the story is that the master of ceremonies goes to the bridegroom or the groom of the wedding. Now, I imagine at this point in the wedding, he's a little tipsy, looking at his bride like, <laughs> waiting for tonight. <laughs> Whoa, yeah, girl. <laughs> Trying to get these guests out of here so we can talk, <laughs> right? Got this wedding ring on, so you know what that means. I don't know what that means, but she knew. <laughs> and, uh, 
I did this message with middle schoolers, so that was thrilling. <laughs> okay. And, um, and, the, and, the, and the wedding planner walks up while Humble is like, hey, hey, okay, girl, you know what's up. You gonna play a little Cardi? You gonna do a little Megan Thee Stallion? Megan knees, aha, right? Whoa, too far. <laughs> My bad. I, hey, for, Matt, please have me back. <laughs> um, and whoever's editing this, you know what to do with that part. Jeez. Pray for me. So they're dancing. The wedding planner walks up and says, bruh, where y'all get this wine? Because this wine is good. Because usually what we do is once everybody's too tipsy to notice, we give them the cheap stuff, the boxed wine. Y'all are in college, you know the boxed wine, <laughs> where you're paying by the gallon instead of by the bottle. <laughs> like, this is good. This is top shelf. You got this from the, the wine press? This is nice, right? And, and, and the bridegroom is like, I mean, you know the, Don the Johnsons, you know, we just only give the best, you know what I'm saying? Hey, hey, right, he's having a good time still. I can't dance well, and my African parents are ashamed of me, so you guys don't need to laugh, okay? The two-step is all I got. Um, and what happens in this moment is that the couple gets credit for giving the best. The thing that they get celebrated for is not what they bought, it's not what they earned, it's not what they made, but it's what God gave to them. And here's the thing, is that if you and I would live our lives giving the very best we have right now, God will give us better later. Your 20s are not your best years. Your college years are not gonna be the best time of your life. That as you give your best, God will give you better. As you give your kindness, as you give your consistency, as you give your love, as you give your faithfulness, God will give you better later. And you will find yourself in rooms and in spaces and in places and you're like, I don't even deserve to be in here. And God will be like, I know I gave that to you. I don't understand how I got this opportunity. Yeah, because I hooked it up. I don't understand how I, yo, there are things that I have done in my life and I've been like, how did I end up here? Because there is no way that I deserve this. And God's like, I did that. So never spend your life holding back your best. Never spend your life saying, you know, if I, if I give this away, then it means that I won't have anything good for myself. And I, and I want to remind you that the God that you and I serve one day woke up and was like, hey, I'm going to put the stars right, right here. And the stars were like, we're here. He looked at the ocean and was like, hey, you're going to stop right there. And the ocean was like, but I want it. He's like, no, right there. Like, no, right there. And the ocean's like, okay. That our God spoke the earth into existence, that he formed every single thing that we get to see. 
remember a few years ago, I went on an 18-mile hike in Denver, Colorado. When I got, and the reason you guys were like, yo, 18 miles, here's what happened. Every time I wanted to quit, an old person was coming down from a higher point than I was. And I was like, this old person is not going to out-hike me, right? So I get to the summit of this mountain, and all I saw was a sea of mountains, It was, yo, it was like the most beautiful thing I have like literally ever seen with my own eyes. Until two years ago, my sister and I were in LA and we were driving to Malibu. And there's a point that when you're driving on the roads in in, uh, California where you see mountains and oceans and all you can do is go, (gasps) like that's all I could do. (gasps) And in that moment, In that moment, I understood what David said in Psalms. And he was like, who is man that you are mindful of us? That God can create something so beautiful as those mountains that I saw in Denver and so magnificent as what I saw as I was driving through Malibu. And he will still look at me and says that you are beautiful, that you are the apple of my eye, that you are worth dying for, that he could create that and, and, and be able to say, yo, before you were born, I formed you. I knew you. that the most magnificent thing that you can see in the earth is nothing compared to how God sees you. So if God can create such beauty and give you such value, I encourage you, give the best you have now and he'll give you better later. In this story, Jesus says that my time has not come yet. My time for the world to know who I am has not come yet. Jesus was waiting on a moment. What was that moment that Jesus was waiting on? He was waiting for his moment on the cross. The first time that we see the mention of Jesus dying for us was found all the way back in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, right? And God shows up and says, hey, where are you guys? And when he says, where are you? It wasn't because he had lost them. It was because they were not where they were supposed to be. Then Adam is like, yo, the girl you gave, like, it wasn't even, I wasn't, so she belongs to the streets. And, and you can't do that, <laughs> right? And then God looks at Eve and it's like, what happened? And she was like, yo, but there was this talking snake, bruh. Like, you can't just put talking animals in here. It's not a Disney movie. And um, <laughs> this is such a serious moment and I keep cracking jokes. And the Bible tells us that God gives Adam his consequence and he gives Eve her consequence and then he gives the snake the consequence and it tells us that the heel of Eve's son is going to trample the skull of the snake. Golgotha 
where Jesus died on the cross was a skull. And in that moment, with his arms pierced, he crushed the snake's head. So here's my encouragement to you guys tonight. Is while you are waiting, go. Go be kind. Go be merciful. Go be generous. Go be consistent. Go be faithful. Go out of your way to do your best. Go. I am... I was wondering how to, to end tonight, and we're gonna, we're gonna sing um, one more song, and it's called Run to the Father. And I was like, yo, like, what story could I tell that would encapsulate a good father? My dad and I have a, uh, an interesting relationship. He's a great guy. I'm very complicated and needy and all this other stuff. And uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, I remember coming home and uh, I remember um, going into my room, changing in, out of my school clothes into my basketball sweats. I remember that morning, my brother uh, had spoken to my dad because that was gonna be the first day that one of his friends, one of his friends had passed away over spring break. And so my dad was encouraging my brother and saying, hey, you know, like God's with you, don't worry about it. And he gave my brother some scriptures about like how to navigate through this first day back at school dealing with all of that chaos. So I remember that was all the stuff that was going on in my family. My brother was grieving the loss of a friend. I was trying to understand how somebody that was a wrestler and a football player and someone that was really popular could decide that life was no longer worth living. But I was finally home. And, but what was strange about being home was that instead of just my mom being there, our two small group leaders were there. And I was like, why are these guys here? Anyway, so I said hello because, you know, you have to say hello to guests. And, I, and they were like, hey, Rex, when you're done changing, we need to come sit down. And I remember taking a seat and, uh, and I remember as the male small group leader explained how ICE had come to our house and they were looking to arrest my mom. And my mom was like, wait, let me call my husband. I, I have to call my husband. I have to explain what's happening. So my mom, so they allowed her to call my dad. And my dad said, don't do anything. I'm coming home. So my dad leaves his job. He rushes home. And my dad, being the salesman that he is, he says, hey, take me, don't take my wife. Take me, don't take my wife. Two and a half years later, my brother had been partying. I started smoking pot, and, and then Kevin found out the guys that were giving me pot, so he walked up to them and said, if you give her pot again, you'll have to deal with me. So all of a sudden, I didn't have smoking buddies anymore. Um, <laughs> and um, Kevin prayed. And he said, God, if you will bring my dad back, I'll serve you. If you would bring him back before graduation, I'll serve you. A week before graduation, I come home. 
My dad was there. He showed up. My heavenly father brought my earthly father home to answer the prayer of his son. Now, most of you in this room may not have stories that dramatic, dramatic. But I know all of you in this room are praying for something. And and sometimes in, in Christian culture, what we believe is that in order for God to answer our prayers, we have to be good. And I can tell you, and I can say this because my brother's my superhero. Like, he really is. I, I tell people all the time, Kobe Bryant's my second favorite basketball player because my big brother's my favorite. I remember cussing out referees, even when he fouled somebody. I was like, that is not a good call. He's innocent. He wasn't. And he would tell you that though God answered Kevin's prayer in that moment, Kevin didn't hold up his part of the bargain. And God knew that was going to happen, but he still answered. Why? Because he's a good dad. He's a good dad. And he understands that parenting is not about having kids that behave perfectly, but it's about having dads that love their kids unconditionally. And it is out of a response of that love that we begin to change. So living room tonight, as we sing this song about running to the Father, what I encourage you to do is that no matter how you have been living, No matter what kind of mistakes you have made, no matter what you think disqualifies you from entering into his presence, I am telling you to run. Because I know that even though I am faithless at times, even though I want to quit, he is faithful. He is good. He is kind. And if we could have done it on our own, there would have been no need for Jesus, but he knew us. He knows us. And so tonight, as we sing this song together about running to the Father, I encourage you, whether you're sitting in your seats, whether you stand up, whether you're watching online, I encourage you to run to God and say, I need you. To run to God and say thank you. To run to God and tell him what is going on in your life. To run to God and ask for more of his presence. And I guarantee you that no matter how you are living, he will answer because he's that good. He's not counting on your goodness because he's good. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we sing the song to you in this moment, I know the idea of of fatherhood can be complicated. But God, I pray that in this moment that you would show yourself as the perfect father. And God, I pray that for anybody in this room that has made decisions that they're not proud of, no matter what they are, that they would have the confidence to return to you and maybe even come to you for the first time and say, God, I need you. God, I love you. 
God, can you save me? And I love what it says in Romans. It is not your wrath that draws us to repentance. Oh God, but it is your kindness that draws us to repentance. And so God, I pray that in this room, what would happen here is what happened with Moses when he asked to see your glory, that your kindness would sweep through this room. So God, we love you. God, we trust you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at The Living Room ATL. Remember, TLR fam, we love you, we're for you, and we'll see you next time.